from KQED. Governor Jerry Brown heads to Rome, the Vatican to be specific. That's topic one on this week's uh, podcast, California Politics Podcast, for the week ending July 17th. How did we get to July 17th already? Uh, came right after July 16th. <laughs> Uh, that's Anthony York here in studio with uh, myself, Marisa Lagos at KQED in San Francisco. Uh, the fearless John Myers is on vacation. Fearless, we know, because he went on a two-week vacation with his family. Yeah. That's impressive. What are you saying? You talking smack about his family? Not no. his family. We, oh, I just... Okay. Okay. Hey, man. Families. They're brave for it, enduring him. <laughs> true, true. We'll, we'll give everybody credit where credit's yeah. due. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, to kick off, it sounds like uh, the governor's figured out a nice way to, to get some summer vacation in. Uh, he was in Toronto last week, and then next week he heads to the Vatican to discuss, as I like to call it, the new black, climate change. <laughs> I thought he was going to declare his candidacy for Pope. I thought that's why he was going. Was Francesco Due, I think. It's kind of like, you know, fate for this governor, right? I mean, it's everything he wants to talk about. It is everything. And, and it's, you know... I, it's interesting about Brown when you sort of think about the context of his career um, and you know the three failed presidential bids and uh, and I think in climate change he really has found his cause and his um, that you know a place where he wants to make, to make his legacy. I hate that word, but I, you know, for lack of a better term. And um, you know, I think back to a, a conversation I had uh, with him after he had a. Uh, an event here in San Francisco, and it was an electric car event. He was talking to reporters afterwards. And he he was talking about Archimedes, right, Jerry Brown, right? Clearly. Of course he was. But, you know, and the, the notion of Archimedes' lever, you know, uh, Archimedes, and give me a place to stand and I can move the world. And I really think that that's, that encapsulates a lot of, of what this is about for Brown. Uh, it, ha it, it adds a dimension to it, right, that he really can be, he can move national and global policy from his perch as California governor. And I think that's significant. And that you have the Pope and the, you know, the Jesuit Pope, you know, Jerry Brown. I mean, it's sort of this perfect storm of things. You have a 77-year-old, 76, 77? I don't I think wanna, 77. Uh, 36, April 36, right? Or Anyway, 38. Anyway, my math, it's still a little early here. <coughs> and it's summer. Um, so... Um, I, I think all these things together, you know, sort of add to it, and, and and you look at where the governor's focus is, and it really, I mean, really, has ramped up over the course of his uh, over his term and a half in office. Climate really has um, sort of dominated, you know, when you look at what the governor's doing beyond beyond the budget, beyond the first two years. Yeah, I think there's a couple really key points there that you make, and you know, yeah, this is. Likely, we all expect, the governor says, his last elected office. And he didn't make it to president. And so I, I think you have, that's a really interesting point there that this is, you know, this much broader issue than California. Clearly, California has led the way in a lot of this climate change stuff, even prior to Jerry Brown um, coming back into office. Sure. But, you know, he, I think, sees this as this opportunity to be on the international stage and to really, you know, speak with, with people who are, big thinkers and are and are thinking about yep. problems that are not something that any one person or politician is going to tackle, but that he can leave a real mark on. Um, yep. And I think, like, as you said, I mean, this Jesuit 
Pope, you know, we're seeing that there's going to be a bunch of mayors there, including Bill de Blasio from New York and others. Um, it, it, it is, you know, in his statement, the governor called it an unprecedented gathering of global leaders. And so I do think, yeah, that, that the governor thrives on that. Um, and then also, you know, this issue just of that you mentioned it, it has dominated and yet it's not the most talked about issue polit- like it's not the most debated issue politically it's almost as if some of the fine points are and we see fights over you know cap and trade and the air board and how and air resources board and how they're implementing policy but the the right. broader issue isn't something that's really like being debated every day in the capital well we're not uh, we're not having a debate about whether or not climate change is real in California we're beyond that now we're also in pretty good economic times and so you know, let's see what happens in two or three years when, you know, the when the the business cycle does its thing and we dip into another recession. Um, you know, what sort of tensions there are between jobs and the environment and these old ten- and I know that, you know, that the the champions of, of environmental action, you know, talk about green jobs. I mean the reality is the green jobs in raw numbers don't in in real time replace the jobs that are being lost. Um, you know, through for through a, for a variety of reasons, it's not just environmental policy. There are a lot of you know global forces at work. About you know another podcast we can talk <laughs> about why manufacturing is in decline everywhere. But um, but uh, you know, I I don't think this debate is settled. But you're right; it's not it's it's not at the forefront. Uh, it's not controversial. I mean, look, you had a Republican governor Schwarzenegger really make this a priority as well, and. Uh, but I think Schwarzenegger, like Brown, found it as a way to sort of transcend the smallness of Sacramento, the smallness of state government. And that's something that Schwarzenegger and Brown share, is a desire to be transcendent in that way. Uh, you know, I mean, Brown was very focused on the budget during his first two years. And it sort of culminated with the passage of Prop 30. And, uh, you know, and so he's he's been a lot more macro the last two, three years. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, and there's going to be more. There's a big climate summit in Paris in December the governor's going to. Um, and that actually factored large into my decision when I was uh, debating whether or not to hold on till Paris uh, to stay at the L.A. Times to cover the governor in Paris. I decided, you, no offense, that Paris would be more fun without the governor. Yeah, those those visits can be a, a little bit of a, of a haul. I mean, they're, they're fun. They're work fun. You know, yeah, their work fun. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, you mentioned Paris. That's going to be huge, and and I and I did mention this climate summit of the Americas in in Toronto, um, recently, and you know, again, that was the governor and others signed this MOU. The governor issued this very sort of stark call to action. And look at the reception he got. I mean, he was hailed as a hero. The Globe and Mail story, you know, the local press, um, you know, Canadian politicians celebrated the governor as a paragon of you know of climate strength, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, and it's interesting, though, given how um, cautious Brown can be on other business issues and right. how he hasn't been, you know, this this very, like, lily liberal, lefty, just, like, pro, uh, you know, everything, you know, or anti-business, really. And so, I mean, that's been interesting to watch, too. I think how in California, in large part, um, you know, business has picked their battles around this again, but there isn't like a broad pushback on this agenda. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see just sort of how, yeah, how it continues to be framed and how California kind of sees its role in all of this. Um, I think, you know, you hear critics say, 
California can't do this alone. And I think folks who support the governor's efforts agree with that. We've also seen some legislation moving its way uh, through the legislature, largely pushed by the pro tem de Leon, um, gotten, it seems like, pretty positive reception there. So, you know, not not an issue that's going away, clearly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, expect expect to hear a lot more about it from the governor. I mean, the governor feels urgency, you know, that that there's a there's a need for urgency on this issue. And it's an issue that's difficult to to mobilize people in an urgent way. It's not like, say, water or immigration or anything like that. Great pivot. Uh, So our next topic is an initiative that kind of flew under the radar for a few months. Um, But shout out to Dave Siders and Ryan Sablo at the SACB. They had a story this week uh, looking at this ballot measure um, that really could stand to threaten another one of Brown's legacies or potential legacies, which is the Twin Tunnels and the Delta. Um, This is a... Wealthy Stockton area farmer and food processor, uh, Dean Carter Posse, who has circulated this initiative. It doesn't actually name the Twin Tunnels. All it says is that revenue bonds in excess of two billion, two billion, two Two billion billion would have to go before voters. Um, And these are basically the types of bonds that are used to finance large public works projects. Um, General obligation bonds already go before voters. Um, But, you know, these are. A little different because they're basically money taken out against a project and, right. and something that is going to arguably add its own value and, and sort of make the money back. Um, and it, it it would I think it would be a huge deal not to overstate it. But this and, would really, I think, uh, throw a wrench, not just, you know, in state government, but at the UCs, universities, at local level, um, for any big public works project. It would have implications way beyond the tunnels. Um, and it'd be interesting to see. I mean, it looks like this thing's on its way to qualifying. You know, we've, you know, John has talked a lot about uh, the vote threshold being so low, and it's just not that hard, relatively speaking, to qualify a measure for the ballot for 2016. Uh, and um, it'll be interesting to see what the opposition is. You can see... Groups like Jim Arp's group and other sort of infrastructure, you know, uh, trade unions and 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 others uh, mobilizing against this, not necessarily because of the tunnels, but because of the other implications that that this uh, this measure would have. So um, it's clever, you know, and it's a clever and it's a clever way to sort of um, to. Sh- I mean, look, water is a controversial topic, and it's controversial enough, um, but it's it's a clever way to sort of insert this. This uh, notion of uh, of uh, fiscal responsibility and and uh, citizen oversight of government, which are always very popular, and it's a a good way to try to torpedo the tunnels. Yeah, but I gotta think that there would be a, a pretty sizable opposition campaign mountain against this, and one that would include a very wide swath of interest. I mean, That's right, yeah. I think unions would hate this, although as we've discussed before, they might have their eyes on and money on a couple it's other a balls. Going on, yeah. um, but, you know, in this story by the B, they quote the CEO of the California Chamber of Commerce really kind of lashing out at this and, and accusing Court of Posse of hiding the ball from the public by not mentioning the tunnels. Um, you know, and, and this could also, um, as I said, impact smaller, you know, water districts, reservoirs, a lot of the drought stuff that we're seeing kind of being pushed through. Um, And just from a public policy perspective, I do think that there's valid 
you know, criticism to be raised about the issue of do we need to go to voters again for more things? Well, I mean, we, you're right. We are not a direct democracy. We're a representative democracy. We have a, this initiative system that allows for flare ups of direct democracy from time to time that are significant. Uh, but this and this would, uh, you know, this would tip the balance. I mean, for better or for worse, this would definitely tip that balance when you talk about sort of the fundamental role of government and the role that citizens have in their day, in the day-to-day operations of the state government. And given the average citizen's knowledge about state government, it's, which is not terribly high, as the PPIC poll reminds us on a regular basis, uh, I think there's some legitimate cause for concern, even, even, uh, even if you're a believer in direct democracy and the initiative system. Well, and, you know, if you're, if you're you know, fiscally, uh, a fiscal hawk, you could also, um, you know, you could make the argument that, yes, the voters should weigh in on these types of huge spending projects. You could also make the argument that this is going to really just drive up the cost of government more because having to go to the ballot every single time you want to approve a revenue bond. And let's be clear, I mean, $2 billion sounds like a lot of money, and obviously it is to any single person. But in the context of public works projects, um, you know, it's it can't it, build much freeway for that. You really can't. And I think we're you know, we're seeing right now a lot of of big ambitious projects kind of being pushed out of Sacramento in addition to the tunnels. We have the sixty eight billion dollar high speed rail project, which potentially could stand to to be impacted. Some of that's geo bonds currently, but we're still right. You know, they're still figuring out the financing. We have a special session coming up on transportation. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of interest in that realm of coming up with, you know, ongoing revenue sources. But there are big, big deficits in that area that, you know, it's entirely possible we could see a proposal for some sort of bonds to come out of. Um, so, yeah, so it seems like this is going to be this farmer and possibly uh, John Kupal and the Har- Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Foundation And, and, and maybe a lot of the Delta folks. And the Delta folks. The Delta. Against the world. Uh, yeah. But, you know, but, but with a good title and summary and good ballot language and, a, you know, and a, a ballot that is probably going to be pretty long and have some big issues on it. And, you know, it's again, it's that it's that challenge of breaking through that uh, in a in a political campaign, how you reach state voters. And I think this is the kind of measure that uh, can often be totally uh, underestimated in Sacramento. You know, it's but it's the kind of thing that every insider thinks, oh, well, no, because Alan Zarenberg and the unions are both against it. Like, you know, no way does this thing have a chance. And that, and yet, you know, people read it and it sounds good and they vote for it. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I think it, it does on its face sort of play to a lot of, you know, existing suspicion about government and spending and are they spending our money wisely? Um, and then and then on the, the flip side of that, you know, if people don't understand a measure, their tendency is to vote no. So... Yeah, this uh, this this will be interesting. Put it on the list for 2016. Potential will list. do. Um, next up, let's go to our little our little side dishes. What what do you uh, got, Anthony? Uh, well, you know, in the spirit of summertime, uh, I've just got the legislative recess. I mean, thank God, right? Hallelujah. You can get a little hallelujah for legislative recess. The legislature, I mean, love you all, really, but um, uh, you know. They're going to be gone for a month, which uh, didn't used to happen. Didn't used to happen. Um, you know, in some states they're gone for several months, though. So, 
but this is a full-time legislature. They're going to be in their districts, I'm sure, you know, meeting with their representatives. But uh, it's sort of a, a break in the action in Sacramento. We're seeing flurries of bills. You know, we've had a number of deadlines, and the governor is signing dozens of bills. You look at the releases from the governor's office. Um, I'm sure there'll still be stuff on his plate that he'll be signing. Um, although I think he's going to be out of the state for a little while. So maybe Didn't we talk sa- about that earlier? Yeah, and I think that's part and of an extended... I don't expect to, him back anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, Anything what, that's caught your eye, though? I mean, this is the policy deadline uh, Friday for, you know, bills in there. <clears throat> uh, in terms of deadline bills this year? No, I mean, I, I think that the stage is set for uh, for a number of interesting fights, you know, when we get back in August. Uh, obviously, the legislative, the special sessions are, are dominating that, the transportation yeah. and healthcare stuff. Um, whether or not there are any real deadlines or there's any urgency to get that done in this legislative year remains to be seen. Um, but um, we'll have plenty to talk about in August when we get back. I have no We have doubt. seen a couple of interesting bills being killed that I would bring up. Um, Mark Leno got into it big time yeah, with the GEO chair, stuff, Adam right? Gray, on this proposal to essentially treat uh, e-cigarettes and vaping as tobacco. Um, and that got just completely gutted in committee. Yep. And um, it was a very tense, sort of interesting look. Uh, same day as... Uh, Roger Hernandez turning off the mic yes, of right. one of his uh, Republican colleagues. Um, good theater. Good theater. Good theater. Up on YouTube, uh, Myers, even on vacation, decided to edit that <laughs> clip down and get some hits on uh, on it. Shameless. And then um, also this week, uh, sort of more relevant to the Bay Area, although well, arguably relevant everywhere, but <clears throat> bigger news here. Um, the assemb- I believe it was the Assembly Business and Professions Committee uh, killed a bill that would have changed uh, some disclosure requirements around building contractors which came out of that tragic accident in Berkeley right um, a month back and would have required basically uh, the state to know anytime there's a settlement um, with a contractor or a lawsuit filed which there had been against you know the contractor involved in this case we don't know all the details yet but it, you know it was interesting to see some of these committee chairs flex their muscles and, and get yeah. a sense too of what you know the leadership cares about or doesn't um, and right to die too that's another big one assisted yeah. suicide however you want to characterize that bill uh, but that was a bill that sailed through the senate and, uh, and hit a roadblock in the assembly health that's committee. mostly what we saw this year yeah, bills sailing through the Senate and yeah. hitting roadblocks in the Assembly. It, it's interesting. It feels like uh, the 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 dynamics have sort of flipped in a way from a few years back when the sort of mod Dems in the Senate were flexing their muscles and and more you know likely to be the ones sort of stalling legislation. And we're kind of seeing it back in the Assembly now. Let's see if uh, Senator Glazer tips that balance back. <laughs> um, all right, now for my side dish, we had a big federal fundraising deadline this week for the second quarter of the year. And in California, of course, we're watching the Senate race between Attorney General Kamala Harris and U.S. Uh, Orange County Representative Loretta Sanchez. Um, interesting numbers, I thought. Uh, Harris brought in 1.6 million. She's got about 3 million in the bank. She's clearly you know, hitting the fundraising calls hard. She's gotten a lot of money from small donors. Sanchez, though, um, came out strong considering how late she came into the race. She she got about $1.1 million. Um, and, you know, I think what's going to be, it, you know, it shows that this isn't going to be just a walk in the park for Harris. I think that there's been a lot of attempts, you know, on her side to sideline any uh, competition. And um, Sanchez clearly has, you know, some deep ties and, a, a good phone book. Um, I think the question is whether she can kind of keep up that momentum moving forward. Would you agree? 
Yeah, absolutely. And also, and you know, it'd be interesting to see how she casts herself. I mean, she had a rough start, a rough launch to her campaign, I think, as, as we've discussed, at, as we discussed at the time. Um, but, you know, but that's pretty inside. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to the unless, of course, it comes back to haunt you in a campaign commercial, then it becomes relevant. But, um, but uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's kind of a blank slate. I mean, the, in, we haven't had a high-profile contest, Democratic contest, at the top of the ticket in this state in a long, long time. And uh, I think '98, right? The Checky Davis, yeah, uh, Jane Harmon, Palooza. And, that thing. and I will say, as as much as I think, you know, folks are 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 spoiling for a fight and have have expressed some concern that this this could be or could have been, a, you know, sort of a cakewalk for Harris. What we do have is two women of color running for this seat, um, which I think is significant in itself, and you know, yeah, s- it says against, something about the state and the Republican. Front runner. Yeah, so Rocky okay, Chavez, I believe remember Rocky Chavez, we should mention, um, I think raised about 60 grand. Um, so, you know, not not going to be able to get his message out as easily as uh, Sanchez and Harris. But he's in the race. We don't want to not mention him. And I, and hard. and when they gave us the numbers, they mentioned, uh, his campaign mentioned they had just hired a new uh, campaign finance uh, head. So we'll see if he can pick up some of that fundraising. I mean... You know, we'll talk about it again in January. Right? Yeah, we'll see. Something? I mean, that's the thing. This is so early, but but what what I think these numbers are about, and and you know, for Sanchez, it was about showing that she's a, a serious candidate. Viable, yeah. For Harris, what she's really trying to do is build a base and and to get those small donors and to get her name out there and to sort of get a network of folks that she can rely on as this actual campaign heats up. And big numbers do add to the the inevitability narrative that Harris has tried very hard to lock down. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, early on, right after Boxer got out. Yeah. Great. All right. Now, um, our final topic this week is an issue that's really uh, came out of San Francisco and has, has really garnered national attention. Um, this horrific slaying of a 32-year-old Catherine Steinle on Pier 14 in San Francisco um, by an undocumented immigrant who had been in and out of the uh, the criminal justice system for years and deported many times. Um, you know, to, to sum it up, in case you haven't turned on your TV in the last month, um, the the San Francisco Sheriff's Department released him without uh, calling immigration officials under the city's and the, really the state's sanctuary city policies, which allows cities to decide um, whether or not to cooperate with these detainers, which are not, you know, illegally binding. It's basically a request by Immigration Customs Enforcement to hold folks, even if they haven't, there's no other reason to hold them. Um, and we've just seen this ignite this national debate. I mean, everywhere from, you know, Donald Trump and 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 Ted Cruz in the presidential race kind of seizing on this to sort of, you know, I think. Bill O'Reilly interviewing the family. Yeah. You know, this is... um, and, and, and then down to the local level where we've had a lot of debate about whether, you know, the sheriff interpreted this correctly. Um, but I want to focus on the politics here. And, you know. A big part of this that it, there's been a lot of discussion about San Francisco and our sanctuary city ordinance here here in San Francisco, which, you know, predates uh, the state's law, the Trust Act that passed two years ago. But I think that's a really important component here that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle is that this happens thousands of times, you know, a month, a year around the state. This is what not uh, shooting. <laughs> no. Well, yes, but not not these type. No, where. 
you know, sheriffs decide that they are not going to honor these ICE detainers because the person in their jail does not have a violent past and doesn't have any current crimes. And so, um, you know, Assembly member, former Assembly member Tom Amiano uh, spent years trying to pass the Trust Act, ended up getting vetoed at least once, maybe twice, I think once, that it finally made it to oh, Governor Brown's twice. desk. Once yeah. or twice. Yeah. Um, and, um, and you know, he worked with Brown and with a lot of law enforcement to really shape that and make it something that the governor and um, his allies in law enforcement could deal with. And so I, just, I found it really interesting the way that, you know, everybody sort of seized on this for their own political purposes. Yeah. And immigration, you know, still continues to be. And I think also it speaks to uh, the fact that crime, you know, while it's diminished as a political issue, and it, it never totally goes away. It's always sort of lurking there. You see some of this stuff going on in L.A. now and, and people wanting to point fingers at Prop 47 for some of the upticks, about, you know, which whatever. Again, we don't have to get into that right now, whether or not. And, and even the president, you know, speaking to the NAACP this week, talking about sentencing reform as a national issue. Um, you know, we've we've adopted some pretty significant public safety changes in this state over the last five years. Um, and these are not policies that are going to be judged on one incident or on, you know, or in two months or, you know, or, or even two years, probably. They're probably, they're really longer term changes, but, but they are, they're volatile politically. And, you know, it just takes one incident like this to sort of crystallize opposition and, and start a, a totally different kind of political movement. No, I think that's a really important point. I mean, in California, we've sort of seen the pendulum swing after years in really the 90s and early 2000s of these tough on crime measures, everything from three strikes um, to, to local laws really cracking down. And, you know, what happened? We filled our prisons and ended up <laughs> under federal order to to empty them out and now have seen Again, the pendulum swing the other way with, you know, Governor Brown's realignment uh, measure, which moved a lot of sort of lower level criminals from state prisons and parole down to the local level with Prop 47 that you mentioned that kicked a lot of um, lower level felonies down to misdemeanors last year and allowed people to kind of retroactively apply to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think, you know, to be fair, it's been not even a year since 47 happened. It is it is a little early. You know, but right before those numbers came out in L.A., we saw the 2014 crime stats, which were like dipping even, you know, the crimes just been going down. But I think what we see from from this tragic um, incident in San Francisco are two things. I mean, at play, I think that or or maybe three, but what you're talking about with this intersection of 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 violence and uh, and criminality and politics and, and the fear that politicians have, because let's. Let's be clear. The Willie Horton effect exists, right? Yeah. You make one mistake um, and, you know, that can cost you your office. And then there's the immigration debate, which is, you know, rot in this country and, and not going away anytime soon. And then there's the gun violence issue, which has really been ignored in this largely, which I've found sort of surprising from a political issue. Yeah, you're off message there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens with that. There Bill O'Reilly is pushing legislation. Um, so that could happen maybe in Congress. We'll see. They'd probably get a bill introduced in the House. Yeah. At least. But I think, I mean, I think the interesting takeaway is for all of, of the hand wringing and, and the conversations, we're not seeing any proposals, you know, serious proposals at the state or local level to change some of the policies and laws that 
you know, some people would say allowed this to happen and others would say, you know, are are, are not at fault that this is about broader issues. So, yeah. And it will be interesting. I mean, you know, I know that the, uh, you know, Donald Trump's comments about immigration and about Mexico, I mean, that they were they've been widely, you know, lambasted and, and almost dismissed in some ways and left. But it'll be interesting to see. It is sort of out there as a as a uh, as a marker for this for this presidential debate and the presidential discussion. And well, look, I mean, as he lost all this business because of those remarks, he surged in the Republican polls. Yeah, well, and I'm not saying that those you know numbers right. you know, but but it shows also. that there is you know a wide swath of people who if you know if they don't totally agree with him, at least have some of the same feelings. Yeah, and, and have an emotional reaction to these issues that that again is very is volatile and not settled yeah all right well that wraps it up um for myself marisa lagos you can find me at twitter at m lagos anthony york is on twitter at anthony york 49 and um happy july thanks for listening we'll see you next week